Hello and welcome to Agape Latte. Agape Latte is a storytelling series for students that features personal stories delivered by a faculty member, staff member, or administrator at the University of Dayton to share lessons about their intersection of faith and everyday life. Presenters use story sharing to help students explore how their passions, strengths, and gifts can be used to make the world a better place. Listen with an open mind and heart to hearing God working in your life and in the lives of others. So thanks for coming. Um, I'm going to say a little bit in, by way of introduction. So as you know, my name is Allison Lee, and I, I want to start by how did I get to UD? So I started here for graduate school back in 2003. I actually lived right over there, um, just on the other side of Art Street in, at 1615 Frerichs. Um, so I came here to be a campus ministry GA. And then when you get a degree, they tell you to move on and go find a job. So I did that, and I moved to um, Des Moines, Iowa. Um, which, if anyone is familiar with Iowa, it's far. Um, and it's a lot of cornfields you got to drive across to get there. Um, I worked there for two years, and then there was a position open in campus ministry at UD, um, and I came back because I missed it a lot, and this felt like home to me. So um, I came back here in 2007, and I've been here ever since. Um, and I, was, I worked in campus ministry first um, for a while, and then now I've been in the rector's office for five years. So. Um, so love it here. Really, really glad to be here. Um, and that's kind of the official storyline. So I, the, the more fun facts about that, I am a birder, so that's why I've seen 481 species of birds. Um, and as um, Kayla mentioned, I, I come from Wisconsin. I'm very proud of that fact. So this weather for me, I'm like, bring it on. This is like super balmy, you know. Um, I've always loved art, music, and sports. I'm the oldest child, so I'm mostly a rule follower, but I ask a lot of questions about rules. So I have to trust the systems and the people that made them. Um, I've always wanted to be a morning person, but I have always worked in jobs that require late nights. <laughs> and if I'm eating at a restaurant, I will always eat a smaller meal so I have room for dessert. Like, I am the person at your table who will ask for the dessert menu. Yes, my people. I'm also an introvert, which no one ever believes. And I still get excited about flying on airplanes. Even in COVID, even with the mask on, I love flying on airplanes. Um, I have one younger sister, and she has two children. Um, her, her second child was born just a couple weeks ago. Um, and I never was really a kid person, so I didn't like, have a lot of feelings about that. But I, um, I really love those kids and love having kids in my life. So um, I, I just adore being their aunt. And if you want to see pictures later on, let me know. Um, <laughs> And I, I want to say in high school, I was always a pretty good student, um, but I did get one C, and that was in physical education. And this is kind of where um, my vocation story really begins. Um, I was never an athlete. Um, I managed the swim teams and the track team, managed, not was on them, I managed them. Um, so I was really good with the stopwatch. Um, I was in the marching band, so yes, and all the art classes and AP classes. And in Wisconsin, you have to take PE for three years, and I generally hated it. Um, in the presidential test for physical fitness, I, I started taking that one in junior high, and I uh, failed it, all of them. The sit and reach, the shuttle run, the mile run, I failed all of those. 
um, every year until my junior year of high school where for some reason I decided to train for it. My parents had a treadmill in their basement and so I was like, I'm going to train for the mile and see if I can pass it. Um, and I did. So I ran on that treadmill and after a couple of months of training, I passed. Um, and I still remember, I remember what I was wearing and I remember the feeling of crossing the finish line. And it wasn't triumph, really. It was more surprise. Um, it was surprised that I wasn't last, surprised that I achieved something in gym class, which I never had, surprised that I was passing a fitness test, something I never thought I had the capability to do. I had just suddenly done it. I was excited and I was proud, and then I didn't think much about running again for the next many years. But like I said, running's really a huge part of my vocation story. That was the pictures that, that you saw um, on the poster. Um, and it's really shaped the way I know and understand God um, and the way God works in our lives, um, my life in particular. Um, and it's helped me face some really dark moments and keep going through them. So tonight, what I want to share a little bit about is what I have learned about my vocation in God through running, and specifically through running marathons. I have three lessons that I've learned that still remain true. Um, and so as I talk, I just invite you to think about your own stories where these lessons might also be true for you. I always, when I was um, working in retreats, I always used to say the goal of a, a good reflection talk is that people are thinking about what they would say if they were up here and talking. So that's my goal. Um, so the first lesson I want to share that I have learned about my vocation and what God is calling me to is that vocation and the things we're most meant to pursue in our lives are revealed to us through loving invitation. These invitations are not always obvious or grandiose. Invitations are often subtle. It can be a comment that stays with us or an email that we can't bring ourselves to delete or maybe just a moment of joy doing something we love. It takes courage to respond to those invitations. And we always have the option to say yes or no. But I think it's the invitations that scare us a little. Um, I think those are the ones we really need to say yes to. Which again, brings me back to running. So I had several stops and starts with running after college. I didn't start running until after I was done with college. And the first time I ran and stuck with it for a few months was in Anchorage when I was a Jesuit volunteer. And really how that came about is I knew I needed to exercise and I wasn't making any money and running was basically free. Um, so, and there was a lake around, so this is a theme too, there was a lake um, pretty near our house and it was actually the largest float plane airport in the United States. Um, so I would run around that lake, well mostly walk at first and then I would run around it eventually as I kept training. Um, I picked it up again my second year of grad school when I was living here on campus um, when I decided to train for a triathlon with my mom and sister. It was a sprint distance, and I just needed to be able to run a 5K after swimming a half mile and riding my bike for 12 miles. Um, that I did, depending on where you are, that can sound like a lot, but it's not a, a terrible thing to, to train for, really. Um, my goal in this was not to embarrass myself. Um, of those three disciplines, running was my weakest. I had grown up swimming and um, riding my bike felt really natural to me, um, but running was not the thing I thought I could do. I finished that triathlon very slowly, but I finished. And then I finally embraced running in a real way when I lived in Iowa. I slowly built up to running a two-mile route around a lake, another lake, near my house. After months of that, I started adding another lap. Um, when I moved back to Dayton, 
uh, I just kept running as part of my exercise routine. I found that despite the initial shin splints and the burning in my chest that I experienced when I first started running, that I was invigorated by being outside and about knowing the streets and neighborhoods as intimately as you do when you explore them on foot. I also discovered the more I stuck with it, the better I got. During these first couple of years being back in Dayton, I also became good friends with a woman named Jana. She was looking for a running or exercise partner, and so we began to schedule our workouts together. Jana was a much more seasoned runner than I, and she pushed me, but she always stayed at my pace. Together, we went from 30-minute runs in Oakwood to four to six-mile adventures. She took me on the trails at Cox Arboretum and up the hills um, behind West Far Hills. So if you cross over Far Hills Avenue, you'll find some hills. Um, and she made me run up them a lot. Um, then there was a Saturday. We were running on a bike path. And she refused to tell me how long we were going. She just was not going to let me know until it was over. And we had run eight miles. It was in that moment, I kind of had the same feeling I did when I was in high school. It was a feeling of surprise, um, the, that feeling of surprise after passing the mile run. I realized in that moment, if I could run that far, I could probably run a half marathon. And so for a girl who spent her whole life being last picked for teams in PE, and I'm not joking, like literally last picked. I know people say this, but I actually was the last one standing there. Um, and I was always the slowest. And I, like I said, I did not like that. Um, I was learning, though, that I was maybe something I didn't think I could ever be, which is a runner and an athlete. I learned a lot from this about the way we see ourselves and our limitations. When Jana suggested we start running and working out together, it really scared me. Um, I don't, if you've ever been invited to do something with someone you don't know very well, um, it can be a little bit intimidating, like how's this gonna go? Uh, I was so afraid of not being able to keep up with her and of just seeming really fat and slow. Like this is just the, the image I had of myself. And I felt like I had been looked at that way my entire life. But it wasn't the way I was seen at all, at least right then. I had worked my way into something that I wanted to become. And people saw that in me before I saw it myself. Jana did, and I got a great friend out of it. And through her loving invitation, I also saw that I was capable of so much more than I believed that I could be. There's a saying that floats around about this that I really like. And it's that God doesn't call the qualified. She qualifies the called. I have to remember that so often when I say yes to something. The idea isn't that I'm perfectly trained and ready for that exact opportunity when it shows up. It's that I have enough trust in myself and faith in God that I will have what I need when I get there. After a couple of years of running almost every day with Jana, she got her own grad school opportunity and moved away to Boston. Not easy to run together when she did that. Um, but I didn't stop running. At this point, I was in shape. Running was part of my life. I knew all these roots in Oakwood, and I just wasn't going to give it up. I did my first 5K at age 27, a couple more triathlons, and the Air Force half marathon here in town. And then the next loving invitation came along, the idea to run a full marathon, 26.2 miles in a row. And that point two is important. Um, that's the like, hardest part of the race. Um, <laughs> And it, and it wasn't, this is, again, it wasn't so much that I had a dream to run a marathon. I did not, I was not one of those little kids who was like, this is what I'm going to do one day. 
Um, it was just that after running a half and all those longer distances, I started to wonder if it was possible. I regularly read Runner's World magazine, and there was a paragraph about the Oklahoma City Memorial Marathon. I had been to Oklahoma City um, and the memorial of the bombing that happened there, um, and so that one sounded really meaningful to me and, and moving. So um, I was just kind of captivated by that and by running in Oklahoma City. So, you know, fast forward a little bit, and I was talking to a student at a Halloween party after she had just finished running the Chicago Marathon, and I mentioned to her I was thinking about running one of my own. And she said, oh, if you think you have it in you, go for it. Of all the things people said to me about running marathons, that was the one that stuck with me. And people say a lot to you when you say you're thinking about running a marathon. They say, that's too far, it's not good for the human body, you will destroy your knees, are you really going to train in winter? Um, I lived in Alaska and I'm from Wisconsin, yes. Um, but the one that stayed with me was, if you think you have it in you, go for it. I think about that a lot. If you think you have it in you, go for it. So I signed up. I paid $100 in January to run a race in April because something outside of me connected to something within a loving invitation, a why don't you try this? And when I think back, this is how I have come to do everything important in my life. Someone has said something like, have you thought about? And there are so many things that follow that statement. A career in campus ministry, getting a PhD in higher education, doing a year of service with the Jesuit Volunteer Corps in Anchorage. Of course, there have been many I said no to or ones that didn't resonate with me in the same way. There is a lot of noise out there. But when I think about those loving invitations, it's usually someone or something connects to some deep desire I have in my heart, whether it's to have a friend to run with or to take on a big race or a new career path. Sometimes it's even a road trip or going to a party where you don't know anyone. It's something I didn't think I was able to do, but I get a little nudge that says, maybe you can do this after all. Which leads me to my next great lesson, and I think this is one that's been the most, the most, I have, uh, that is such a tongue twister, the most myth busting of all of my vocation lessons, and that is all important decisions are based on incomplete information. Okay, so how many of you out there really like to know all of the information and what is going to happen before you make a decision? Anyone, planners out there? Okay, a few of you. Um, with the internet and access to data that we have at our fingertips all the time, we do not even have to go to a restaurant without knowing the menu um, in advance. Personally, I love that. I always want to know all of the things ahead of time. I mean, I want to know the ends of movies. I want to know, I don't like to, sometimes I don't like to watch sports because I want to know the end and I get too stressed out. Like, I just want to know the ending. Um, but I found that this is not possible when it comes to big life decisions. I'm guessing not all of you knew everything that was going to happen to you when you came to UD, that you might have met some people you didn't plan to meet or gotten involved with things you didn't necessarily plan to get involved in. And this is why pursuing our vocation involves trust and faith. When we decide to accept or decline these loving invitations, all we can know is if we are being pulled in that direction right now. We have to trust that as obstacles arise, as twists and turns and detours occur, we will have what we need to face the challenges or enough information to make a new decision when we get there. 
When I said, yes, I want to do this, to running a marathon, I didn't know what the weather was going to be like. I didn't know if I was going to get injured or sick during training or if my body was even capable of going that distance. I'm not and have never been built like a runner. I didn't even know if I would like running that far alone. Um, just no idea. I couldn't know the answer to those questions, though, without trying. And something in me knew I needed to try. I learned a lot through this risk. I was 30 when I decided I wanted to run a marathon, but I had gotten myself into many situations where I didn't know what was going to be the outcome when I said yes to them. One instance is when I applied to be an RA in college, and on my first day in this role, the director of the program said to all of us, I remember sitting in training, and she looked at all of us and she goes, you all have no idea what you are in for. Which is not like the most encouraging thing to hear when you're going to take on a whole floor of people, um, but she was right. I knew the responsibilities and I had a vague idea of what it looked like to do rounds or programs or wake up in the middle of the night for emergencies. But I didn't know at times how scary it would be to walk into a loud party on a guy's wing where everyone was bigger than me and I was not the person they really wanted to see. And on the flip side, I also didn't know that nearly 20 years later, I would still be in touch with some of my fellow RAs and that very same director through Christmas cards and emails and just keeping in touch. I didn't know and I didn't need to know. I had what I needed in every moment along the way. And while it's hard for me, a planner, to accept the unknowing, I've also found it to be freeing in many ways. Several years ago, I had the opportunity to donate a kidney to my dad. He had a genetic disease that had gotten progressively worse and the time had come where he really needed help. My mom wasn't eligible for health reasons and my sister actually has the same genetic disease my dad has. And I knew deep in my heart of hearts that my dad needed my kidney. And it was really hard to get him to accept it. He insisted that I save it for my sister. She was not likely to need the kidney for 20 to 30 years. But this is where the peace of not knowing and faith really helped. I was certain I was ready for this at that time and I knew my dad really needed my help. And that is all we can know. We can't plan for a future 20 or 30 years down the line. So much can happen. If we didn't know that before now, I think COVID has really hammered it home. With the kidney and the marathon, I was ready and there was a need. All important decisions are based on incomplete information. Sometimes we have to take a deep breath, say yes, and go forward, just trusting that we will figure it out along the way. My dad did eventually agree to take my kidney, and nine years later, both of us are as healthy as can be. So really good ending to that story. We will have what we need to figure it out along the way, but that also does not mean it's going to be easy. And this is another truth I've learned through running about my vocation and my path. And that is self-doubt and struggle are part of what you sign up for. There was a time in my life when I had this idea that if we were doing what we were meant to, the path would just sort of work itself out, be laid out clearly ahead. Running really taught me otherwise. Sometimes we can be pursuing the path we are supposed to be on and we are still going to be tested. When I started training, I faced a number of obstacles, the most significant of which was mental. It was in those early runs in January that all of a sudden I could not run up hills. No matter what I told myself, my legs just didn't want to move. I would walk the hills and make it through the mileage, but I knew my body could do better. It had before. I had run these routes many, many times. Um, 
and I wanted to be able to run up those hills again. Um, I actually, after the Oklahoma City Marathon, I ran several flying pig marathons, and that one has a reputation for being quite hilly, so training on hills is important. I went to see a counselor. I knew I needed help. I knew I wasn't getting, uh, getting past it on my own. So I went to see a counselor about this, and it helped me tremendously. She taught me tips and tricks that helped me shift my focus during the time and kind of distract myself. And she prepared me for the race. She told me about um, all kinds of things to prep for during um, my training. Um, we th thought through things I hadn't even thought of yet. And she helped me get to the root of my problem, which is that I was missing having a friend to run with. Both acknowledging that grief and figuring out how to move through it, while someone listened and understood my struggle, it was really, really freeing for me. Um, that was my first experience with a counselor in my adult life, and it's been a very regular part of my life ever since. So for me, that changed a lot. I took a risk, and I asked for some help, and it made a huge difference. To that point, I think I have failed to acknowledge how much we need other people to get us through our biggest challenges. And in order to get that support, we have to identify what we need and then ask for it. That is super hard to do. That is a lifelong quest. If any of you all figure out how to just like always identify what you need and then ask for it, I would love to have coffee with you. Um, and I will take some advice. But it continues to be true. During my five marathons, I have faced some really dark moments. Miles 21 and 22. I always have a hard time describing the agony of those miles. I am generally an upbeat person, and I get through hard things by telling myself they won't last forever and looking toward the future and focusing on the good. And it's like after about four hours of running with every muscle in my body just in so much pain, being super hot and tired and hungry and nauseated all at the same time, it's like my brain doesn't know how to find the positive anymore. <laughs> I honestly really never know how I get through those miles. I just, I just don't. Like it's one of those things where I'm like, I don't even know. Like I don't know how I kept going. Except that I leaned on every support system in my arsenal. Sometimes that was a person yelling my name. Um, they put your names on the bibs of a lot of races now. So someone would yell, go Allison. So I didn't even have to know that person. It, would be, it could be a stranger. Um, so them saying, go Allison, would be like, oh, OK, OK, I can go for another couple steps. Sometimes I could just see a water stop up ahead, and I would just try to make it to that. In many of my marathons, I've run with a really good friend of mine. And I remember in one of those, he said, he was OK going as slow as I wanted to go. The only thing he wouldn't let me do is sit down. And I will tell you, if you sit down at those miles in a marathon, you are not getting back up. I, I can pretty much promise you that. Before I ever ran a marathon, I thought when people hit the wall, they were talking about like a few dark moments, and then you get through it, and it's all celebration. Like, like you hit mile 20, and you get to the wall, and you're like, OK, that was hard. And then you're at like 21 or 22, and you're like, yeah, it's all downhill from here. Um, but that is really not at all what happens. <laughs> With each passing mile, I just felt more despair. From the disappointment some, many times. Um, in fact, I think I ran, I ran three before I got the goal time I was going for, under five hours. Um, I would experience the disappointment of knowing I wasn't going to hit my goal time. Um, and then not being sure I was going to finish at all. And wondering how much more I would have to endure to get there. It also feels like the distance between the miles in the 20s is 10 times longer than the miles in any other part of the race. So like what happens is I'm running mile 21, and I feel like I've been going for about 30 minutes. And I'm like, I surely have passed mile 22 by now. Well, there are flags that are bigger than that agape latte flag. They're like a couple stories tall. They're huge. You cannot miss them. 
Um, especially if you're going as slow as I was going. You're not, you're not walking by it without seeing it um, at that part of the race. Um, but they just, it just feels so long between, those, between each mile marker. But those miles have taught me so much. Our vocational paths can be filled with moments of despair and self-doubt. It doesn't mean we're on the wrong path. We are going to face really, really dark moments in life when each day and each step feels like climbing a mountain. I have faced many of them since running marathons. I struggled while trying to finish my dissertation with setback after setback. I mean, many moments of thinking I just couldn't do it. A few years ago, I also faced a debilitating back injury that was so painful I couldn't walk for two months and was basically confined to my couch. But in those moments, I remembered the miles of the marathon. And I'm not saying like, oh, I'm hurt. I remember the miles of the marathon. It was just like, <laughs> it, it was like bad. And I'm like, okay, I remember other struggles I faced right now. And I remembered that I had to look for whatever boost I could find. Sometimes it was in the, in the race, it was a sip of water or a cheer from a stranger. And those things got me through the dark moments and days. So I had to find them in my other dark moments too. And they were there. They were always there. There were friends and family who showed up in ways that carry me. There were people who didn't let me give up, who wouldn't let me sit down. It was when I was hurt, it was someone coming by with a meal um, or bringing by a dessert or keeping me company for a couple of hours. When I was writing my dissertation, sometimes it was people reminding me how far I'd come to get there. And those were the pauses and the moments I needed to just keep going for a little while longer. And those little while longers eventually turned into finish lines and moments where I could say I made it through that. Three truths I have learned from running. Our vocations come to us through loving invitation. All important decisions are based on incomplete information. And struggle and self-doubt are inevitable parts of the process. In my 42 years on this earth, I have had to keep relearning these truths. When I'm wondering if I should say yes to something and take on the challenge, I remember that I have and trust that I will have what I need to find my way through. I would love to tell you that I have it all down now, that I just know, um, and that I accept these truths and embrace them. But that would most definitely not be true. In fact, accepting these realities about vocation leads me to one final kind of bonus lesson. And this one was eloquently and succinctly put by one of my favorite singer-songwriters, not Taylor Swift, I'm sorry, although she has many great lessons in her music, many. Um, it's by Jason Isbell. And his song is, um, it gets easier, but it never gets easy. And that's something I think about a lot also. It gets easier, but it never gets easy. So saying yes to what God is calling me to, finding my way through self-doubt and struggle, it will always be a challenge for me. I know I have to keep paying attention and keep saying yes and ultimately keep trusting. Every time I do, it reminds me that I can. It reminds me that I've been there before and that the grace of God and the beautiful people in my life will be there the entire time, no matter how ugly and in some cases sweaty I get. It was this hobby, I guess, this random running thing I fell into that taught me so much. It was, I think, the language that God knew I could understand. It's not always the obvious places where we discover our paths and the lessons we most need to learn. For me, it was marathon running. I wonder what it is or will be for you. 
pay attention. Those loving invitations are out there. And I will be happy to cheer you on every step of the way. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to our Agape Latte podcast today. Agape Latte is sponsored by Campus Ministry and the Office for Mission and Rector.